Welcome to episode 344 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker, author of What, When, Wine, and creator of the supplement line Avalon X. And I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Spina, sports nutrition specialist, author of Keto Essentials, and creator of the Tone Breath Ketone Analyzer and Tone Lux Red Light Therapy Panels. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and ketogenicgirl.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment. To be featured on the show, email us your questions to questions at ifpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. So pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine if it's that time and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, we are so honored to be sponsored in part today by NutriSense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love NutriSense, and here is why. NutriSense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a NutriSense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes NutriSense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. NutriSense.com slash podcast. And I am just so grateful to NutriSense for helping support today's show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest today here on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. So I am here with Dr. Terry Walls, and I've actually interviewed Dr. Walls twice on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. So I will put links to that in the show notes. But Dr. Walls is honestly just a legend in the functional health world, the world of autoimmune disease and MS, and she's doing really, really incredible things. She almost needs no introduction, but she is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner, a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials in the setting of multiple sclerosis. And she actually right now is doing a study that I'm really excited to talk about with you guys. We'll dive into it in today's episode, but it has to do with the effects of different diet protocols on MS. And one of those arms in the study does include fasting. So that's very, very exciting. And she's also the author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles, as well as the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. I actually asked the audience for questions for Dr. Walls for all things related to what she's working on and her studies. And so I have a lot of questions from you listeners. I thought I would start off. I got some feedback from the last show when I aired it on the Melanie Ablon biohacking podcast. So Brooke actually just wanted to share with you, Dr. Walls. She said, my mother passed away about five years ago from MS. Unfortunately, back then I thought it was just a medical diagnosis and there wasn't anything that could be done to help. This episode was full of great information. I wish I could go back in time. Maybe I could have helped my mother with her MS with the knowledge I have gained since then. I am so thankful to Dr. Walls that she's out there making a difference for those struggling with MS and other autoimmune conditions. Thank you, Melanie, for helping her spread the word. And that's just one of many. I got so much good feedback after listening to the interviews with you. So we're all just so grateful for your work. And I have a lot of questions for you. So Dr. Walls, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. To start things off, like I said, I will put links to the other episodes, but because this is the first time on this show, can you tell listeners a little bit about your personal story? It's very haunting. What led to what you're doing today? Sure. During medical school, I started having electrical face pain and nothing would help it. It would get progressively more troublesome. Seven years later, I had an episode of dim vision while out rollerblading on a hot August day. 
saw a neurology eye, no clear explanation, and I uh, let it go. Then I continued to have worsening face pain. I would see back uh, neurology many times to the pain clinic multiple times. 13 years after the episode of dim vision, I developed weakness in my left leg. Saw the neurologist began a workup that would take about three weeks. And during that three-week time, I thought about the uh, already 20 years of worsening electrical face pain. And I knew that I had a progressive disease. I did not want to become disabled. And so actually, I was secretly hoping for a rapidly fatal diagnosis. I heard multiple sclerosis. I did my research. I found the very best MS center in the United States, saw their best physician, took the newest drugs. I'm 45 at diagnosis. Three years later, at age 48, I'm in a tilt-reclined wheelchair. I take mitoxantro in a form of chemotherapy. Then I take Tizabri, the new biologic that we're all so excited about. That doesn't help either. Then I'm switched to Salcept, another form of immune suppression. And then it's very clear how terrible things are going to be. And that's when I decided to start reading the basic science to see, am I really doing all that I can? I decide that mitochondrial dysfunction is what drives disability in the progressive phase of the illness. So I end up creating a supplement cocktail for my mitochondria. After six months, because I'm no better, I quit all my supplements and I discover that I really can't function at all without my supplements. And so three days later, I start the supplements again. My energy gets back to my usual level. I can get back to work and I'm thrilled. So I I start reading more and more. I'm adding more supplements, but I'm still declining. By 2007, I cannot sit up in a regular chair. I'm in a zero gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose. I can take just a few steps with two walking sticks. I'm beginning to have brain fog. My electrical face pain is more relentless, far more difficult to turn off. That's why I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I have a longer list of supplements, I, which I add. I discover electrical stimulation of muscles as another tool to add to my rehab. I convince my physical therapist to let me try that. We add it. Now, at this time, I can do 10 minutes of very simple mat exercises. I'm now doing electrical stimulation of muscles while I do that. And then I had this aha. And Melanie, I really laugh at myself, like how long it took to have this aha. I'd been doing a paleo diet, basically the autoimmune protocol, for five years. And I thought, well, what if I redesign my paleo diet based on the list of supplements that I was taking? Figure out where they are in the food supply, they'd probably get more really important good stuff. And so there's a few more months of research. And I start this new way of eating December 26, 2007. Now at that time, I can only sit up about 10 minutes, which by the way, is the definition of being bedridden. Uh, and begin to have brain fog. My electrical face pain is far more difficult to turn off. So it's clear to me I'm going to on track to become bedridden, demented, and probably die with intractable pain. And then I start this new focused way of eating. I'm still doing my supplements. I'm still doing the electrical stimulation of muscles. But by the end of January, so four weeks later, it's clear that my pain is less, my mental clarity is improved, and I feel like I can sit up better. In fact, I tell Jackie, my wife, that I want to try sitting in a regular chair for supper. And I can do that. First time in many years, I've sat with my family at supper. Huge, huge. Then in February, I begin walking with walking sticks in the, in the VA hospital, you know, stunning my colleagues. And then by March, I'm walking with one walking stick. And then April, no walking sticks. And then on Mother's Day, I tell my family I really want to try riding my bike, which I've not done in six years. So we have an emergency family meeting. Jackie tells my 16-year-old son, who's six foot five, Zach, you run alongside on the left. And she tells my daughter, Zeb, who's 13, that she should run along on the right and she'll follow. And we all get in a position and she tells me I can push off and I bike around the block. And, you know, that 16-year-old boy, he's crying. The 13-year-old girl, she's crying. Jackie's crying. And when I relive that moment, even now, I still cry because that was the moment that 
who knows how much recovery might be possible because I had accepted that when you have secondary progressive MS, when functions once lost are gone forever, and that it would never come back. But who knew how much recovery might be possible? And so I, you know, I, I'd bike a little bit more every day. And then in October, Jackie says, well, I've, I've signed you up for the courage ride. It's 18.5 miles. However far you go will be a triumph. And when I cross that finish line, we're all crying. You know, my kids are crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. You know, and I still cry now, reliving that moment. It really changed how I practice medicine. I will change the focus of my research. And I've made it my mission to change the standard of care so that when people are diagnosed with MS or any neuroimmune condition, any autoimmune condition that has neurologic or psychiatric symptoms, that they may be told, yep, we have good disease-modifying drug treatments, but just as important as the DMTs is addressing diet and lifestyle. And so here I am. Wow. <laughs> that is so powerful. And I mean, I'm just thinking about how when I opened with that question with Brooke, she was saying the exact same thing about how, you know, at the time she thought there was nothing that could be done. This is just so incredibly empowering. So going to the the cause of all of this, because Brittany says, for example, how do you find the trigger? She says that regular medicine says we're just not sure why some bodies start acting on themselves, but obviously something causes the shift. And then people were really interested. And when I interviewed last about, you were talking about the role of uncleared infections as a potential creation here. Sandy wanted to know, are they usually triggered by pathogens? Leslie said she was shocked when she learned about unclear infections contributing to the disease. So just in general, what is actually leading to these conditions? And, and do the conditions of MS apply to most autoimmune conditions? Well, hundreds of years ago, it was a revolutionary idea that germs cause disease. And there's a thing called Koch's postulates that you had four steps you had to go through. A sick person had to culture the bacteria. Then you inoculate a healthy person, cause a disease culture of the bacteria again, that has to be the same as the original bacteria. And then you could say that that bacteria caused that particular disease. It was a revolutionary concept that unfortunately let, let us begin to think that we'd find a precise cause for all chronic complex diseases. And that's not the case. And because we can't find that one bacterial cause, we keep saying, we don't know what causes autoimmunity. I and those of us in the functional medicine world will come back and say, well, okay, so what do we know? We know that you have to have the genes that put you at risk. And for each autoimmune disease, there are about 300 genes that we know increase the risk a little bit. And it's usually one half percent, a percent, occasionally as much as a 10% incre increase for that particular gene. Step two is infections. And we know for MS, there are 16 different microbes, bacteria, and viruses that increase the risk. And literally, it's the rare person that hasn't had at least one and probably multiple infections with those microbes. And once you get those microbes, they're never completely gone. Our immune system just controls them. And then the third step is all these environmental factors that my conventional colleagues say, well, we have no idea what they are. I say, we know all these factors that influence the health we have or don't have. And so my approach and my practice is, I'm going to take all the environmental factors and help you point them towards health-promoting behaviors, away from disease-promoting behaviors. And in so doing, we often discover the person becomes steadily healthier. Blood pressures improve, blood sugars improve, pain reduces, anxiety reduces, depression reduces, the need for prescription medication declines. And when you go see your specialist, they say, well, whatever you do and keep it up because everything's stable. So I focus on creating health. I let the specialists treat disease. I warn them that you have to watch any prescription medication that you're using closely so you don't over-medicate your patients. And I focus on teaching people how to create steadily healthier microenvironments for their cells. I love this. And actually, speaking of the medications, because you mentioned being on the biologics earlier, 
And Lori wanted to know how does being on a biologic medication long-term affect your body? So like even the meds that you are on, is there a lingering effect from those? Oh, sure. So I took Novantrone, several rounds of Novantrone. Each time you take Novantrone, there's a 2% risk of acute leukemia. Fortunately, that did not happen. There's also cumulative damage to your heart. So I probably have a less effective cardiac reserve than I might have had if I'd never taken Novantrone. So I, I have that residual. All of the immune-suppressing drugs that you take for any autoimmune condition interfere with some aspect of my immune system. So I have fewer numbers of new enhancing lesions on an MRI, which is how you get approval for that drug for MS. And you have to have, if, if it's a disease-modifying drug for other disease states, it would be approved according to some concrete biologic indicator of that disease state. However, what, what, what I want to point out to everyone is over the age of 40, our immune cells are gradually less effective, and that's part of the aging process. Over the age of 50, again, another step down. Over the age of 60, markedly less effective, which is why over the age of 60, there's a much higher rate of infections, pneumonia, begins to be much more lethal, and a much higher rate of cancers because my immune cells can't protect me as well from cancers and infections, which means these drugs that suppress my immune system under the age of 40 are, are very helpful at reducing the severity of MS in terms of the number of new lesions, the severity of autoimmune diseases, but they'll increase the risk of infections and cancers. Over the age of 50, 55, and 60, and there's a lot of debate, at what age do these immune-suppressing drugs create more harm than benefit. In the MS world, there are a number of stopping studies where people are being randomized to stay on their DMT or go off their DMT, beginning at age 50, 55, 60, and 65. And those studies are, are beginning to come in to try and give the neurologists some view when they should stop their drug. What is so disappointing is that none of these studies have utilized the creation of health you know, improving the diet, the meditation, the exercise, the self-care routine as part of the way to make it safer to stop the disease-modifying drug treatments. We've, we've written multiple grants trying to get funding for a safer way to do stopping studies. Unfortunately, our grant proposals were never funded. One last drug question. What about rapamycin, which some people actually take for life extension benefits in like the biohacking world? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I can't comment as to that I have any research that says what it's going to do for MS or autoimmunity. In general, when I look at the strategies that we use for longevity, I think those are strategies that will likely be very beneficial for people with a autoimmune condition and MS. And certainly, you know, I've been working on my biohacking because my goal is to still be doing research at 120, still having medical students, postdoc students in my lab doing, you know, the interesting research that we'll be doing in another 60 years. I'm just so fascinated by rapamycin. I'm always researching it and listening to podcasts about it. Two questions about what you just went through with the genes, the infections, and then the other factors. So with the genes, so you answered Nisha's question. She said, are there certain genes that are associated with autoimmune diseases? So do you recommend people do any genetic testing for autoimmune conditions? Or is that more just data for us looking for solutions? If, if you have an autoimmune condition, you've got probably several of these genes that increase your risk. If you're curious, you certainly can do genetic testing. However, most important is address all of your environmental factors. I, I think it can be helpful. I, mean, I, I do like to have my folks understand some of their genetic risks. For example, APOE4. If you are APOE4 positive, if you elect to do a ketogenic diet, which I th think is still fine, the diet I want you to do is the olive oil-based ketogenic diet, the, the diet that we use in our clinical trial. And in fact, I've been moving more and more into the olive oil-based ketogenic diet for all of my 
all of my patients because I because I think it's more heart friendly. And I just think olive oil is a really wonderful health promoting omega-9 oil that the research is very strong that the more olive oil you have, particularly if you have it cold, that it lowers the risk of cognitive decline, of dementia, heart disease, all-cause mortality. Those are all great things. To that point, Lorena, she said, I've been under the impression that olive oil is very healthy, but I received an email claiming it isn't. This is me talking. I feel like there's always some email saying something. She was curious about the comparison between olive oil and coconut oil. And actually, maybe this would be a a good time to talk about the setup of the study that you're doing and, and how you came up with those diets. Okay. So olive oil, particularly if you have it cold, we have just so much research about the health benefits of olive oil from observational studies and interventional studies. The coconut oil is a medium chain triglyceride. It's fully saturated. There's no double bonds. It is heat stable. It is delicious. And if you are in a medium chain triglyceride ketogenic diet, you get to have more carbs, more like 80 grams of carbs, and you're still in ketosis. If you are using either butter, cream, or olive oil, then you have to have like 30 grams of carbs. That's pretty hard. We chose olive oil over butter because I think butter, eggs, cream has at least a a significant risk of unrecognized food sensitivities. That can still happen with olive and olive oil, but it's much less frequent than with uh, butter and eggs. And if you combine the olive oil with time-restricted eating so that you have like a six to eight hour eating window, we find that we can get people into ketosis with about 50 grams of carbs. Occasionally you have to take it down to 45 or 40 grams, but the vast majority, they can be in ketosis with 50 grams of carbs. And that's a a, a much easier diet. It also lets people have, I think, a healthier microbiome. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get up to 39% off or $300 off one of my favorite air purifiers ever. That's right, up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Keep listening. So as you guys know, I am obsessed with clean air. It has such a profound effect on my health, my experience of the world. I notice a huge difference when I'm in clean air versus not. And I keep the air in my apartment so clean. When the apartment maintenance people came to check the air ducts in all of the apartments, they said to me that my apartment had the cleanest air of any apartment in the entire complex. And these are people who are literally checking the air in the apartments. You guys know I am all about cleaning up our exposure to toxins and our air is one of the main ways that we are exposed to those every single day. Think about it. You are literally living in the air 24-7. And Americans today spend 90% of our time indoors. And according to the EPA, did you know that indoor air can actually be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? We're talking about the off-gassing chemicals that come from your furniture, from all of the products that we have, from the plastics, our cleaning products, VOCs. Whenever you're cooking, you can release toxins and then don't even get me started on viruses and mold. I personally in the past lived in an apartment with mold exposure and it wrecked my health. It really was the catalyst and what I like to refer to as the black hole part of my life that I had from living in mold. That was before I was using air purifiers. I am thrilled that this podcast is sponsored in part by Air Doctor. I already had an Air Doctor unit before we partnered with them. So when they reached out, I was an immediate yes. I was like, please let me share this with my audience. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Oh, do not get me started on the pet dander. I am so allergic to that. In fact, every time I go over to my parents' house, they have lots of pets. And I'm just like, can I please get you some air purifiers? So if you would like all of that out of your air, you need an air doctor. What I love about Air Doctor's mission is they actually have a mission to make pure, clean air affordable and accessible to everyone because I know air purifiers can be expensive, so they wanted to change that, make it accessible, and make units that could fit everybody for the exact type of unit that they need for their lifestyle. 
The units are powerful enough to circulate the air in a 630 square foot plus room four times per hour and have multiple filters. They have an ultra HEPA filter as well as a carbon gas and trap VOC filter. And what I love is they look very stylish and they are so quiet. So friends, I have had a lot of air purifiers in my life. Air Doctor is the only one that I run while podcasting. So yes, those Whisper Jet fans are 30% quieter than the fans in ordinary air purifiers. So especially moms, if you have kids and you want to protect their health, you want them breathing clean air and they will be able to sleep because these machines are so quiet. What's also super cool is their auto mode sensor. The Air Doctor auto mode really works. Whenever I'm cooking in my kitchen, if I cook some meat on a grill, it immediately springs into action and then I can hear it because then it goes into high mode. It's very, very impressive. Every time it happens, I'm like, oh, it really does know. And Air Doctor has an incredible, fantastic, amazing offer for our audience. It's time to get peace of mind with Air Doctor. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, you can just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code IFPODCAST. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. That's right. You can lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code IFPODCAST. One last time, that's up to 39% off or up to $300 off if you go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code IFPODCAST. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. So the inclusion of fasting in the olive oil arm, was it more to look at the role of fasting or was it more because you wanted to create that ketogenic state? I wanted to get the ketogenic state. Okay, that's really interesting. I'll talk a little bit more about the study. So it is a study comparing the time-restricted olive oil ketogenic diet and a modified paleo elimination diet, which is the diet that people know and love as the basically the walls diet, the paleo version without nightshades and grains, to usual diet. People come in at month zero, month three, and month 24. The control arm, people follow the usual diet. We give them monthly tips on things they could do to improve their diet that they could follow or ignore. The reason that people do not get to choose which diet they're in is that we're having a randomized controlled study design. And in diet studies, the controlled diet is either the government dietary guidelines or usual diet. We knew for sure that people coming to my study would prefer to follow the usual diet to the government guidelines diet. Therefore, we have the paleo diet, the keto diet, the usual diet. You have to be willing to be randomized such that whatever you're eating now, whether it's keto, paleo, Mediterranean, vegetarian, vegan, intermittent fasting, that if you get randomized to one of the intervention arms, you will follow that diet and you'll follow it for two years. And if you're randomized to the control arm, the usual diet, you get to keep eating what you want to be eating for the two years. We'll have patient-reported outcomes on fatigue, quality of life, mood. We'll have clinical outcomes on walking hand, vision function. And we will have MRI data at baseline in 24 months. So these are research MRIs, no contrast. That will let us know, can we get people to healthy rates of brain aging over this two-year period? Because people with MS, as a group, our brains are shrinking at about 1% per year, which is why, as a group, we have higher rates of cognitive decline, anxiety, depression, job loss, frailty, needing assisted living, and nursing home care. So people who are randomly assigned to the control diet, they can still eat what they were eating. They don't have to eat the the standard American diet. Oh, no, no. That people who enter dietary studies, they do that because they want to improve their diet. They never follow the standard American diet. Their diets are always better than the average usual American diet. What it simply means that they can make whatever dietary changes they feel like making. Just, Just hearing the timeline of this. So two questions. What are you most testing here? Because those three 
diet arms, like I said, one has fasting and olive oil. And then like, what are you isolating? The primary outcome is, can we improve quality of life by changing what people eat? And we're comparing baseline to six month quality of life changes. We follow people for two years to see, you know, can they keep this diet up for two years? Do the gains that we see at six months continue? Do they continue to improve further over two years? We don't know. There are reasons to think that the ketogenic diet may be superior to the paleo diet, but there are also reasons to think the paleo diet may be superior to the keto diet. We know full well, in my consent, I have to describe both diets, that people in the usual care arm may say like, I got a bad disease. I'm going to change my diet. (laughs) And they're going to start reading making their own decisions about how they can improve their diet as well. That's part of why we do uh, several dietary assessments throughout the study to know what people are eating. And we'll also ask them at the end of the study to describe what diet, how they would describe their diet. Would they describe their diet as a keto diet, a paleo diet, a fasting diet, Mediterranean diet? And we'll give them quite a number of options for them to describe how they would self-describe the diet they're eating. And we're doing this diet assessment, so we'll know, according to their uh, dietary assessment, were they adherent to a keto diet, a paleo diet, or some other dietary plan. Is it powered to detect within the individual groups? Like, is it possible that some people might do better on one version but not the other? We have 156 people that we will have in the study. So it's powered to detect changes at six months between the uh, keto diet and the paleo diet and the usual diet. Uh, It'll be one of the largest, longest diet studies that will have been done to date. That's cool. That's awesome. And we're uh, super excited that we have MRIs and that we are running it two years so we can see change in brain volume. Again, I think this will be the longest diet intervention study that has change in brain volume as one of the outcomes. That is so cool. And just a comment on the MRI piece, because I felt so, I had an MRI recently and I felt so silly because I was associating MRIs with like x-ray machines and CAT scans. So I was really concerned about radiation. I didn't realize with MRI, that's not a concern. So I just want to put that out there for people. Right. There's no radiation and there's no gadolinium. So there's no contrast. It's a more powerful magnet that the research MRI uses as compared to the magnets that clinical studies use. I just felt so silly because I just assumed that. And so that was good for me to know. So what would have to, I'm really curious, because you talked in the past about one of your studies where it was a small trial, like with only 10 people or so, but you've got statistically significant results because it was so profound? Yeah, you know, our very first study, which is a safety and feasibility study in people with progressive MS, secondary progressive, primary progressive, and we basically did the same protocol I'd use for myself, diet, supplements, meditation, exercise, and electrical stimulation of muscles. So the big question is, could people do this complicated regimen, who are actually quite disabled? They're, the average disability was between Kane and Walker. And then what was the effect size if they did? So it was quite striking. 90% of the days they were following the diet, there was an average of 13 minutes a day of meditation and 20 minutes a day of exercise and an hour of electrical stimulation of muscles. Really quite remarkable. And the drop in fatigue severity was 2.38 on a seven-point scale. The clinical significant change is 0.45, and the p-value is 0.0008. And so for listeners, the implications, what does that mean for listeners? If they have p-value of less than 0.05, we call that statistically significant. And then if it's less than 0.01, that's really quite significant. And if it's less than 0.001, very significant. But we were 0.0008. Wow. It, it's really quite remarkable. And every study that we've done, you know, then, then we powered it up to 20, and the p-value was still 0.0005, so a, a little more powerful. Then we started doing randomized controlled studies with a weightless control. And consistently, we could see that 
fatigue goes down, quality of life goes up, mood improves, and uh, hand function improves. And hand function improves at about three months to six months. Walking function takes longer. That's about a year to improve. We are in the process of publishing a paper about measured disability, which is a sum of walking function, hand function, and working memory from our study that compared the Swank diet and the Walls diet. That was very exciting. Uh, That paper has been accepted, and it will be available soon. So if people will want to come to uh, my webpage, terrywalls.com forward slash research papers, so you could get copies of the various papers that we've published. And when that is finally over the line and published probably the next couple of weeks, we'll add that paper to our library of papers that you can get at the uh, research paper. Well, we will definitely put links to that in the show notes. And the Swank diet, it's a low-fat diet. Yeah, it's, it's a low-fat diet. When, you know, when we studied that, we actually improved that diet because we wanted people to stress whole grains and to have at least four servings of vegetables every day. The original Swank diet just said less than 15 grams of saturated fat. Eat the sugar that you want. He didn't stress the whole grains, nor did he stress vegetables. We do have actually some more questions about diet in general with all of this. But before that, the reason I was curious about the 10 studies with the statistical significance with this study, because it's such a long study, like you were saying, could there be a situation where you realize earlier that the effects are so dramatic that you'd have to stop the study? Well, you do have a data safety monitoring board that we, as a matter of fact, I'm meeting with them in two weeks. They review our our progress, our recruiting progress, outcome data thus far. And the most common issue is that they just want to be sure we aren't hurting people. And if we're hurting people, then, you know, study gets stopped. Very occasionally, studies are stopped early because you've already answered the question. People are being helped. I think that's unlikely. And if they try to stop it because the six months study is met before everyone's finished the two years, I will try very hard to let them, to convince them to let us finish the study so we could answer the questions about what's happening with the MRI. I'm just thinking of like the Predimed study, which was olive oil. Again, olive oil. There are so many wonderful studies about the benefits of olive oil. If we had only a olive oil intervention without MRIs, it certainly could happen that we'd be stopped early and say, okay, you know, they're they're clearly being superior. And that could happen, but I would certainly try to convince them the benefits of letting us get to the MRI outcomes would be huge for society. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, since and this is all hypothetical, but because you have these other questions you're looking to answer that would require longer time. That would require longer time. And, you know, and the DSMB looks at the benefits to society for continuing the study to answer these additional questions. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I'm learning so much. Okay. So, I, yeah, as I mentioned, there were more, more diet-related questions. Marina wanted to know, do you feel... Being vegetarian or vegan puts you at a greater risk of developing an autoimmune condition? If so, why? And can you explain why you don't feel vegan or vegetarian is conducive to drastically improving autoimmune conditions? She says you can be vegetarian at her level one protocol, but not the more advanced levels. So absolutely. We recognize that there are people who are vegetarian or vegan for their deeply held ethical and spiritual beliefs. And in my clinical practice, I work with those folks to be sure that they are nutritionally sound and that we address any food sensitivity issues. To understand that, you can do a food sensitivity screen and identify do they have uh, food sensitivity to grain or legumes and address that. In general, I prefer that people have a higher protein diet, that uh, the protein needs 0.7 grams per kilogram of body weight. If you're over the age of 60, that goes up to 1.2 grams of protein per body weight. And then I want you to have the green, sulfur, and color proportionately after you've had sufficient protein. 
And ideally, if you'll tolerate it, fermented foods because of the tremendous benefits to your microbiome. When I've created the Walls diet plans, we have people who can enter in at and make changes at a pace that they and their family can implement. So we start at level one, then we go on to a more paleo diet with higher protein and adding some fermented foods, organ meats. And then for people who have cancers, seizure disorders, cognitive decline, then I want a lower carb diet and a more ketogenic diet. However, I also make clear from our evolutionary history for millions of years, humans were in ketosis on the basis of how much physical work it took to gather our food. We would have a successful hunt or forage. We would have a higher protein refeed. And then when we ran out of food, we had to go back out and work hard to get our food again. So we would go back and forth between being in ketosis and a higher protein refed state. So long-term for the rest of your life, I feel best about putting people in a ketogenic, high-protein, then ketogenic, higher-protein, going back and forth with metabolic switching. We are all about protein on this show. And my co-host, Vanessa Spina, she's interviewed you, I think. She's also the host of the Optimal Protein Podcast. So we're we're all about this. How about on the actually really, really quick comment on the, the food sensitivity piece. I just met a company recently and they do food sensitivity testing and they actually test IgE, IgG, IgG4 and C3D. Have you heard of this more extensive testing for food sensitivities? I have not. So I don't know that last term. So I, I can't comment to that. And I want your, your audience to know that in my practice at the VA, I had no access to any of the functional medicine testing. I could just do basic primary care stuff. You know, lipids, glucose, A1C, insulin, homocysteine, vitamin D. And I was thrilled to finally get to do that. So since I couldn't do any food sensitivity testing, what I could do was an elimination diet. Start people on level one, level two. If they didn't get the results that we were hoping for, then we'd put them on an elimination diet. And you know, take out nightshades, grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, and then reintroduce them, things that were being missed one at a time. It's a longer, slower process to figure out to what you are sensitive, but, you know, we, we couldn't do food sensitivity testing. And what I saw was the vast majority of folks did really great at, you know, walls level one or level two and did not need to go to food sensitivity testing. People who had joint involvement or gut involvement, so like rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, I would try and convince them to do an elimination diet right away because they almost certainly were going to have problems with grains, legumes, and nightshades. And they'd do better if they would do the elimination diet for three to six months, and then we would gradually liberalize it, and they, they would do very well. Again, all of that without food sensitivity testing. Well, actually, to that point, on the, the carnivore sphere, Jackie wanted to know, is carnivore the best way to overcome autoimmune disease? I'm wondering, for carnivore, do you think its benefits are elimination? So the carnivore is probably a another version of an elimination diet. The downside of the carnivore is they have yet to publish in a peer-reviewed journal a case report, a case series, or a single-arm study, which means... There is no published research that tells us who the right patient is, what you need to follow, what are the risks, what are the hazards, how you get people on this. And I certainly have people who've been on the carnivore diet who have not done well and are struggling to reintroduce plants, and it's a long and slow process. I, I've chatted multiple times with the carnivore people offering to help write a case report, a case series, or help with a clinical trial. So far, that's not worked out. I hope that sometime they will, so that we could understand how it fits in. And there may, in fact, there may be people for whom a carnivore diet may be helpful. But without published peer-reviewed research, we don't know how to use it. Wow, that would be amazing. I would... I have some some ideas for that. 
Um, we'll circle back. So the fasting, because we talked about the role of fasting in the trial and its purpose in creating that ketogenic state. Um, this is the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Nicole wanted to know, is fasting helpful for MS? Amanda wanted to know specifics about how fasting may help. So fasting as a therapeutic tool. This is the concept of hormesis, where we give ourselves mild to moderate stress for a period from which they can fully recover, and then we stress them again. And the way to think about this is if when you put someone in space where they're weightless and there's no stress on the bones or joints, they, we, or you put them in bed, bed rest because they were sick, they rapidly decondition and it's really terrible for their health, for their bones, density. You've ever had a cast, your muscles shrink very rapidly. Huge problem. And air conditioning, central heating, huge problem for us in terms of our ability to regulate our temperature carefully. It's like being on bed rest. Eating all the time is the same kind of thing like being in space. Terrible for us. It reduces our flexibility with controlling our blood sugars. So intermittent fasting, not having food for a period, helps improve our ability to shift between burning fat or burning amino acids or burning sugar in our mitochondria. Really good for you. You want to have a little stress from which your cells can fully recover. In my clinical practice, I ask people to adopt time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting at a pace that is comfortable for them with the concept a little stress from which you can fully recover. And then as you get older, you can go on to a 24-hour water fast, a 36-hour water fast, a 48-hour water fast. I don't want people to go longer than that because then you're going to start using your muscles to run everything, and, and that's pretty terrible. What is probably preferable in my mind is reduced calories so that a intermittent calorie restriction or uh, 5-2 intermittent fast gets you the benefit of that hormetic stress without using up your proteins to continue to run the biology of life. Awesome. Okay. I think, I think listeners will love hearing that. And going back to the the implementation, because you were talking earlier about you know doing it with a family and all of that, and Bethany had a specific question, but I think it can relate to a broader question as well. She said, talking about the episode that you're on I'm, on my other show, she said, it, this episode gives so much hope. We have a friend who is going downhill, but he won't do too much about his diet due to cost and trying to cook when he's not doing well. We're trying to figure out how to help him one step at a time. How can a low-income person living on his own improve? What's the first couple steps? So people who are struggling with the income issue or actually implementing this. I want to remind everyone that I uh, ran a clinic in the BI Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. Our patients were disabled, living on food stamps. We taught them these concepts, and they learned how to implement these concepts living on food stamps. Helping them learn how to cook, to meal plan, make soups and stews uh, in a slow cooker can be very, very helpful. Here in the Midwest, there are many communities that have far too many deer and have controlled deer hunts, so there's free venison. Many communities have hunters who have lots of venison that they're happy to share. That helps with getting sufficient protein. We did teach people how to have vegetarian meals with legumes and gluten-free grains to, again, to make it more affordable. Doing intermittent fasting, doing meditation, mindfulness, gratitude practice, exercise. These are things that you can begin doing that don't cost more than your time and attention. Actually, to that last point, so many people wanted to know the role of potential unresolved trauma in these conditions. Claire said she wanted to know how much is related to unresolved emotional trauma. Carly says she 1,000% believes her husband's autoimmune disease was triggered by stress when he was overseas. And then Katie says she was diagnosed with Graves' disease immediately following the unexpected death of her mother. So is trauma a role? Trauma is huge. We do know that people with MS, and I saw this in my clinical trials, have a much higher rate of adverse childhood experiences than the general public. Premature births, early life stress, make it more likely that your parasympathetic system will be inadequately activated in that we'll have the continued perceived threat, either physical threat or emotional threat, 
that keeps our cortisol levels elevated and increases the risk for autoimmunity. It actually was only relatively recently when I recognized the high level of ACEs in my study populations that I thought about my, my own childhood. My sister died when I was eight. It was very traumatic. My mom had severe postpartum depression. It led to serious dysfunction for our family for the rest of, rest of my childhood. And when I started adding up the number of severe ACEs that I had, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that was probably a major, major factor in why I developed my serious autoimmune conditions. Wow. For listeners who would like to learn more, on my other show, I interviewed Gabor Mate, and we did a deep dive into trauma and how it affects so many things. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. One question I know listeners are probably begging for me to ask you, because I talk all the time on this show about how I do, it's not the same thing as E-STEM, but how I do M-Sculpt, which is muscle stimulation that you can do just, I guess, not for like a health condition, but just to build muscle. So do you think something like that is healthy for people? So the athletes have been using electrical stimulation of muscles to grow more muscle mass. It's very helpful for bodybuilders, for strength-based athletes. And they've been doing that for many decades. And they do it more recently to recover from injuries more quickly. I was the first one to begin advocating this in people with chronic, progressive medical problems. And the spinal cord injury folks do this to reduce the harm of inactivity in people who will never be walking again. I think it's very helpful. Is it a requirement? No. If you have access to it, this is a way to improve your motor function and have gains come more quickly. But you can make do with physical exercise, training, working with a physical therapist. Yeah, I remember, I think in our first episode, probably over two years ago, we were talking about NASA doing some experiments with this, which was cool to hear. So something perhaps to end on. So for people to get involved with your studies and your work. So Stephanie said, my uncle was recently diagnosed with MS. She was very informative with the studies. I wish I had a million dollars to help fund her. How can people best support? So how can people become involved, support? What can they do? Well, the first thing is, please, if you have multiple sclerosis, go to terrywalls.com forward slash MS study and screen so you can be part of our database for future studies. And if you're eligible for the current study, that's people with relapsing remitting MS between the ages of 18 and 70 who live in the United States, Mexico, or Canada and are willing to be randomized, I would love to get you involved. If you want to help contribute to our research, you can go to terrywalls.com and you'll see an about page about the research. I have a freezer full of blood from my previous studies and I'm beginning to analyze the frozen blood for some biomarkers in terms of the molecules that we think will change as a result of the intervention, because the basic scientists and many of my scientific colleagues feel like if the molecules don't change, then they don't really believe the research. But if the molecules change, and the molecules that change are strongly correlated with the clinical changes, then suddenly the research is validated. So we're, we're very excited that this year we will be analyzing the biomarkers. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of this in the show notes. So again, the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 344. So I cannot encourage people enough to check all those resources out, sign up for the things if applicable, get Dr. Walls's book, check out all of her other podcasts. And Dr. Walls, thank you so much for your time and everything that you're doing. I am just overwhelmingly filled with gratitude for what you're doing. You're providing not only so much hope and inspiration from your own story, but the work you're doing is just so, so profound. And I am I can't wait to see the results. Hopefully we can have you back on with the results of the study in the future. Oh, you know, and we keep publishing papers about five to 10 a, a year. So keep bringing me back so I have more uh, research to talk about. Oh, awesome. Yeah, especially since this was the first one on this show. So listeners, definitely send us more questions. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I, again, I so appreciate it. And I look forward to all of your future work. You know, one last request, follow me on Instagram. You get to see what I'm eating and doing. That's lots of fun. That's Instagram, Dr. Terry Walls, D-R-T-E 
R-R-Y-W-A-H-L-S. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. I love your Instagram. I love that you post the reels and the videos and you're, you're better than me. I get so drained by doing, by doing reels. I'm always like, wow, she's impressive. She's like, got it together. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.